0: Listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in First Samuel around chapter 20, but keep the Psalms close by. Well, I know it's a packed morning when I have people in the front row. That's great. Hey, we'll get more chairs. We'll, do, we'll figure out something, but don't stop coming. Um, it's great. So this morning, I want you to begin by thinking of a question. What would you do? What would you do if you lost absolutely everything? Or to make it more personal, what would you do If God stripped you of everything that you loved and you depended on. Think about what would happen. What would you do if that happened? God took everything you loved, you cared about, and you depended on. What would you do? Well, this is where we find David this morning. We're in a week. We've been in this a few weeks of our Life of David series. But David is going to be stripped of his trust and favor of the king. He's going to be stripped of his position and status in the king's army. His home will be taken, separated from his wife, one of his best friends, his his trusted advisor, the one that, that he could pick up his iPhone and call at any time of the night and there would be Samuel even his very best friend in the entire world, that God knit them together somehow, Jonathan. But through all of this, through all of the stripping that he's going to have to do, that's going to be taken from him, David will learn an incredible lesson. And this is what our prayer is, that we would also take this in too. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to be in chapter 20, and we're going to have to cover three chapters, but I thought it might be best that we'll kind of get in an airplane this morning, and we're going to quickly fly at 30,000 feet, and I'm going to give you just a quick overview of what's going on. And then we will kind of swoop down into each of these uh, kind of main events, and then hopefully pull out three important truths. So 1 Samuel 20, if you've got a Bible, it's got some headings, you can kind of look ahead of us there. 1 Samuel chapter 20, David's going to go seek refuge at his friend Jonathan's. Jonathan and him are going to speak. They will then go with a plan to Saul. David, he's going to kind of search, Jonathan's going to search day, or Saul out on David's behalf. Then David's going to have to make, or Jonathan's going to have to make a choice. And he'll warn David who's going to run for his life. Then chapter 21, David's going to visit a man named Ahimelech. He's the priest of Nob. He will then flee to Gath. Then in chapter 22, David is going to hide out in the caves of Adullam. David will then have to find refuge for his family, and of all places, he'll go to Moab. Then the last kind of big event of today is Saul is going to have a the priest of Nob. He will have him and the entire city of priests will be murdered for helping David. So here's what we'll do. Let's kind of decrease altitude now. And uh, we're going to look at kind of the first, uh, the first dive of today into chapter 20. So we left. Saul is laid out naked. That's where we left him at the end of 19. He went. He shows up. He's completely naked prophesied for a day, and it gives David a chance to escape. So in your Bibles, let's begin in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 20. This is how it reads. Then David, he fled from Namath, and he went to Ramah. And he came, and he said before Jonathan, Jonathan, what have I done? I mean, what, what's my guilt here? What is my sin before your father that he seeks to kill my life? So David, he runs to Jonathan's house. And David is seeking answers to why does Saul, why does he want me dead so bad? But Jonathan can't believe it. In fact, he remembers back to the conversation that they had in 1 Samuel 18 where David or Jonathan heard from Saul. He said, listen, nothing will ever happen to David. I promise that he will not be harmed. Well, Jonathan then has to realize that he is going to have to make a choice. And in verse 4, you see the choice that Jonathan has to make. And he says, tell me what I can do to help you. So they come up with a plan. It's during the festivals. It's called the New Moon Festival. And even though David is running for his life, he would be expected to be at Saul's table. So they come up with a plan. They say, this is what we'll do. David's going to go. And hide in a field. But what I'll do, Jonathan, I'm just going to go. I'm going to tell my father, you wanted to go to Bethlehem, where you're from. And there, you wanted to spend that with your time, your family. And I told you it's okay. And we'll see how Saul responds. So they came up with this communication plan. David's going to hide in the, the, the woods. If it's a favorable outcome, if, if Saul's kind of passed all the hate, he's going to shoot three arrows, but they won't go very far. But if the rage burns for David and Saul, he's going to shoot the arrows further and he'll tell his servant, the arrows are beyond you and David will know that the coast is not clear. So Jonathan, he goes and he speaks with his father and let's just say it doesn't go all that well. In fact, if you look to verse 30, you can read what Saul says about his own flesh and blood, his own son. Saul then takes his spear. You realize he always seems to have this spear with him? And he flings it at his own son, Jonathan. And I don't know, surely I believe that God is directing this. He's in charge of all this. But uh, maybe he's using Saul's lack of aim. But he misses under God's sovereign plan. And Jonathan now finally has the proof that he needs of knowing who his father really is. But don't lose sight that, man, that had to be hard for Jonathan. Because as horrible as a parent can be at times, that child still loves that parent. And that's got to be a hard truth for Jonathan to swallow, seeing his father for who he really is. In fact, Jonathan is so upset, he doesn't eat the next day. He goes to the field. David is hiding. He shoots three arrows, and he tells his servant, Keep going. They are beyond you. And David understands the bad news. But I want us to see David and Jonathan's kind of final interaction. Look at verse 41. As soon as the boy had gone, the servant, David rose from beside the stone heap, and he fell on his face to the ground, and he bowed three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept with one another, David weeping the most. And then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. Because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you. The Lord is our bind, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose, and he departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Now, have, have you ever caught yourself saying something to a friend, maybe a word of advice, and you knew it just didn't hit the mark? I mean, you were really trying to be helpful But you knew at the end of it, man, why in the world did I say that? You realize it's of no comfort, it's of no help. Be like Marla and I when we were, been married six or seven years, struggling with infertility. People would hear and they'd say, you know what, you just need to relax. Or my favorite, hey, just don't think about it. And you realize that's not helpful because... But here's what he is. So think of this. These two guys are here. And he looks at David. And he says, go in peace. Think about David's life. What is going on in his life? He's been run out of the king's palace, his own home. Everywhere he hides, the king finds him. He's been attacked by a spear. Multiple hitmen are chasing him. Jonathan looks at David and he says, go in peace. You have to be thinking... Jonathan and David, David is sitting there going, gee, thanks, man. But here is what we see. The last thing that David has is peace. But in fact, these words could not be more encouraging to David. Because here's what Jonathan is saying. He's saying, David, wherever you go, whatever you might face, there will always be peace between us. Meaning no matter what Saul may do, what trouble may come your way, David could always know that things were right with him and Jonathan. If all else fails David, he can be reassured that Jonathan will always be there. And hopefully you've got a friend like that. Maybe you're even married to them. That No matter what is going on in your life, you can turn to this person because you know we're always good. But this begins, if you take notes, you write in your Bible, this is where you kind of put the, the star of a change. This is where David will now begin his life in total exile. Think again about all that God has stopped from David. Place in the king's army, his home, his wife, his trusted advisor, Samuel is gone, and now his best friend. What would you do? Where would you go? And of all the things we read, we're about to look at one of the most bizarre things in David's life. So at our 30,000-foot view, here's our second kind of dip down to something lower to look at. Jonathan, or David, is going to visit Elimelech, the priest of Nob, in chapter 21, verse 1. Then David came to Nob, and, uh, to Elimelech, the priest. And Elimelech came to meet David, trembling. And he said to him, Why are you here alone and no one is with you? So Jonathan is going to run to Nob and the priest knows who David is, of course. But there's something that he notices. He looks out and he sees David. David is standing there and he's going, wait, why are you by yourself? If you're part of the king's army, especially if you're David, you would never go anywhere unassisted. You would never go anywhere by yourself. And listen, there's a lot of disagreement about what David does next. Because David's going to tell a lie. And there's all this discussion, is it ever okay to lie? It's all, you know, And you're going to work through all of that. But we don't have time to get into all of that today. But David tells a this. He says, I'm on a secret mission from the king. And he said, I had to leave in such a hurry. He told me not to tell anyone. And I'm here and I have no food. So David is hungry, and he says, do you have any bread available? So Elimelech goes, and they've got the bread of presence there. There's two loaves of bread that symbolize the, the 12 tribes. They would put it in the temple, and every so often they would change it out, but only the priest could eat that. And I believe it's Matthew 12, I think it's Matthew 12, that uh, Jesus will actually reference this point. So the bread could be changed out, but only the priest could eat it. So he gives it to David. Remember, the king has eyes and ears everywhere. And as you read there, you're going to see a man named Doeg. But for some reason, David does hide the truth from Elimelech. So look at verse 7. Now a certain man, one of the servants of Saul, he was kind of a chief of, of herdsmen. He trained other herdsmen for the king. Was there that day, detained before the Lord. For some reason, God did not let him leave. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen's. So Saul's got a servant. He sees David. He recognizes him. Now remember this name because he's going to come back into play at the end of this morning. So David then says, he had to leave in such a hurry. I didn't have time to bring any food. He looks at the priest and he says, I don't even have a weapon. Do you have anything here? The priest says, well, we have one one sword, the sword of Goliath. And now in verse 10, we get to one of the most shocking things we will see in the life of David. Notice where David goes. We're now in number three, dip in our 30,000-foot overfly. Look at verse 10. David rose, and he fled that day from Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of... Now, that name should mean something to you. It should strike a memory. So, let me show you where Gath is. So, the bottom there is the sea, the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea. And Israel, the Canaan, is there under the Jordan area. And this is where you find Bethlehem. You're finding the city of David. But notice that he runs to Gath. And Gath is in the area of the Philistines. So let me read 1 Samuel 17, verse 4. There came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath. Notice where he's from. Of Gath, whose height was six cubits to span. So David goes to the city of Goliath, carrying Goliath's sword. This shows you how desperate David is, he is even willing to run to the city of his enemy. But not even just that. He's going to the city of Goliath, carrying Goliath's sword, and he goes to seek refuge, working for the king. Let's look at verse 11. Because he says that he went, in verse 10, he rose and went that day, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. Verse 11. And the servants of Achish said to him, Wait, king. It's not this David, the king. Notice the title he gives him. The king of the land. Did they not sing of one another, of him, in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So somehow the Philistines have access to Israeli music. And they hear the songs of this man named David, and they even refer to him as a king. So once again, David's got to be thinking, I cannot catch a break. And once again, he is discovered among the king of his enemy. But here's where something really strange happens. Look at verse 12. Because what would you do? And David took these words to heart. And he was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them. And he pretended to be insane in their hands, and he made marks on the doors of the gate, and he let his spittle run down his beard. So David starts acting like a crazy person. Starts foaming at the mouth, clawing at the doors, just because he knows he has to escape. So now where does David go? What is he going to do? I mean, he's lost his mentor. Can't go there. Can't go back home can't go to his best friend. He can't go to his other spiritual advisors, advisors of Elimelech. So he doesn't know what to do. He has nowhere else to go. But you've got to love what the king says to him in verse 15, 14 and 15. Then a said to his servants, Behold, you see this man is mad. He's crazy. He's insane. Then why have you brought him in here to me? I do not lack like madmen. He said, There's enough crazy around here. So he runs. But notice now our number four of our flyover where David goes in verse, chapter 22, verse 1. And David departed from there and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. Stop. Don't read any further. I need this to sink in. So David goes and he hides in some caves of Adullam. Adullam is an area between Gath in Palestine area, to uh, where he's from in Bethlehem. It's about halfway, and it's very close to where he killed Goliath in the Valley of Elah. And David goes, and he is in the cave. So allow this to sink in a minute. David has been stripped of everything he loves, he can count on. David has been brought to absolutely nothing. He has no wife, no home, no friends, no food. We don't even know if he still has the sword. And David is in this cave. He is absolutely alone, and he is absolutely broken. But it's in these caves that we begin to see a different side of David. We've seen him as a shepherd. We've seen him as a warrior. One day we'll see him reigning as king. But it's in these caves that you begin to get the glimpse into David through the song. In fact, from these caves, he's going to write some psalms like 56 and 57 and 142. So I want us to go there for just a moment, because here's what you get with David. You get pure honesty, but at the same time, you get so much hope. I told Discover Bethel, man, we had a great Discover Bethel Wednesday night. I told him, I said, listen, I have a love-hate relationship with preaching I said, I stand or I get up in, in all week and I'm studying, I'm in God's Word, and it makes me come face to face who I really am and the sin in my life. And I hate that. But at the same time, it turns around and it gives me such hope. And knowing that God isn't finished with me. And so here's where we find David. So if you want to turn, we're going to start in Psalm 142, verse 4, the first part of that verse. So David, think about where he is. He's in this cave. He's hiding out. He has all alone been stripped of everything he depends on and he loves. And in chapter 42, in verse 4, he writes down these words. He says, look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. And man, we can relate to that. We can see he is absolutely desperate. He has nowhere else to turn. Everywhere he goes, he has found out. He has been stripped of everything he loves and he depends on. So think of David sitting in that cave broken, scared, lonely. And he says, I can't go anywhere without the king finding me. I'm outnumbered. I'm outmatched. He's got more resources. I'm all alone. No one is left to care for my soul. And I don't know if you've been in that place. But now I want it to read through, and I want us to see the progression in his life. Because he doesn't stay there. So quickly listen to verse 5 and 7 of that chapter. So what do I do when my soul, no one to care for me? I cry to you, O Lord. And I say, you are my refuge. My portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they too are strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks in your name. The righteous will surround me. Remember that. For you will dwell bountifully with me. And I believe then he writes Psalm 57. Listen to verse 1 through 3. and Notice the progression again. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for you, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven to save me, meaning there isn't anything he won't do. He will put to shame who tramples on me. Selah, or peace, or peace. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And then I believe he writes Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker opposes me. My enemies, they trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. And he's being honest. But then he says, when I am afraid, I put My trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. So when I'm afraid, I look to God and I will not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? So David says that when life, whatever the king, whether it's the king's spear, the king's servants, I will not be afraid. Because, you know, look, look, I, I defeated Goliath. Man, I have dodged the spear so many times. I'm smarter than Saul's hitman. No, he says, it is because my God is greater. So David says, listen, in my fear, I will trust. And David is at his lowest. He's alone. He's afraid. He's feeling helpless. And he cries out to God, and David fights his desperation with the truth of God's word. Because before he can be an effective king, David has got to go through some things. And he is going to have to be stripped of everything he depends on so that he only can depend on God. And that is what God will use to make him an effective king. So allow this to sink in in a moment. I believe David was wiping the tears from his eyes as he wrote these psalms. And then he looks up. And he sees once again a figure coming to him. And he has to be thinking, Not again. I have nowhere else to go. Maybe this is it. I can't run. They're going to catch me in the cave. They see me. There's nowhere for me to escape. Maybe this is how I go out. But as that figure gets closer and closer and closer, we read the second part of verse one. And when my brothers. And all of my father's house heard it. They went down there to him. So that figure is David's father. And then, as he begins seeing his father, he realizes, wait, that's my brother. And my brother. And my brother. And can you imagine what this meant to David? And David probably wrapped his arms around them, greeted his father. But then he looks up and notice verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter and soul gathered to him, and he became the commander over them. And there were with him about four hundred men. David sees person after person, following his father and his brothers, and notice who it is: it's people who were in distress. Whether it's the weight of the king's taxes or the bitter souls, they're discontented, they're ready for change. People that David could relate to. And God brings David 400 men to lead. So then we see the fifth dip. David doesn't know how long he's going to be here. So he's got to take his family to a safe place. And in verse 3 and 4, it says, David went from there to Mezpah of Moab, to the north. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know that God, what God will do for me. And he left them there with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. So here's another amazing twist to this story. David needs a safe place for his mother. And his father. So he sends them to, or he takes them to Moab. But do you remember David's great great grandmother? It was Ruth. So Ruth at one time was a Moabite that went to seek refuge in the Israelites. And now you have an Israelite that is seeking refuge among the Moabites. So God is directing those circumstances back with Ruth and Naomi and Boaz long before David was even a twinkle in his father's eye. But you realize that David could not have arranged this. He couldn't set this in place. It was God who was rearranging that long ago. And now our last stop, number 6. Verse 6 of chapter 22. Now Saul heard that David was discovered. And the man who were with him, Saul, was sitting at, at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand. There it is again. And all his servants were standing about him. So Saul is under the tamarisk tree having a pity party. And he looks out at these people and he says, Who pays your salary? Who are you going to follow, David or me? I'm the one that keeps your bellies full and a roof over your head. But he hears that David had visited Elimelech. And the envy that is living in Saul once again takes over. And in verse 17, the king looks at the guard and he says, kill Elimelech and every person here. But finally someone says, Saul, we won't do it. So Saul then turns to Doeg in verse 18 and it says that the king sent to Doeg, you turn then. And strike down the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and he struck down the priest. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. So it goes on that he killed every man, every woman, and every child in that town of priests. Except one. One son of Elimelech escapes. And you know where he runs? He runs to David. And later on, we were going to see how God is going to use this man in David's life. But here's the three truths I want you to see. Three big ones. One, there is peace in the trials. So as Jonathan faced the reality of his father's rage toward David, he looked at him and he said, go in peace. Meaning he wanted him to know that whatever happened next, David, that we were good. So you know what? We're going to face many trials and struggles, probably not like David. But if you have peace with God through Christ, you can know that whatever you are facing, it is not condemnation. That has been dealt with. Like David and Jonathan, if all else fails, you can know and you can trust Christ that he will always be there. There is peace in the trials. And we don't have peace because things are peaceful. David didn't have that. We have peace because a greater one than Jonathan has pledged his friendship to us. And his name is Jesus. Second thing I think we can take from this, a big truth, is that there is meaning in the cave. That good stuff happens in hard places. So David is alone in the cave. He's been stripped of everything he loves and cares about and depends on. And there's nowhere for else for David to run. But in the cave, David finds something even better. David learns that through his fear, he can trust God. When David is at his lowest, he cries out in the Psalms. And God brings his father, his brothers, and a group of 400 that need leading. Meaning, there is purpose in the cave. Good stuff happens in hard places. The cave is not an easy place. It's dark. It's cold. But just ask Jonah. Just ask Joseph or just ask Daniel. Maybe you feel like you're in a cave today. Well, the good news is you're in good company. That there is purpose in the cave last thing I want us to see is that God is always working for your good. He is always moving towards you. David's family needed protection and refuge, and David found it among the Moabites, a clan of his great-great-grandmother. There was nothing that David could have done to make this happen. God was directing the lives of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz long before. God always knew that one day David would need... A safe place for his family. So even when David felt alone and hopeless and fearful, God was always moving towards David. God is always working for his good. So whether David was hiding in a cave, or whether he was uh, waiting to hear in the field about Saul's intentions, running for his life in Gath, or sitting alone in a cave, God was doing something in David's life. God was teaching David a valuable lesson, and this is the lesson I believe he was teaching, and I hope we can take today. That if God brings you to nothing, if God strips you of everything you love and you depend on, it is to reshape your life, not to destroy it. But how can we know that's true? How can we know if God takes everything from you, it is to reshape your life and not destroy it? It's because there is a one that comes after David. A better David, a better shepherd, a better warrior, a better poet, and a better king. And he's the one that we know that he could relate to David. He knew what it was like to run, be ran out of your own town of Nazareth. He knows what it feels like to not have the support of his friends. He knows what it was like to have everyone turn against him. Even as he hung on the cross, his own father turned his back on him, and his name is Jesus. And all of that was so that your life could be reshaped without being destroyed. So the question I would ask you, do you know this Jesus this morning? Do you know what it's like to have peace with your creator? And if you don't, I invite you to believe this morning. I invite you to trust that Jesus Christ, he came to live the life that you could never live. And He died the death that you deserved. But if you do know Him this morning, that you have that peace with your Creator. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.